What do you see are the most common problems when you go into an organization with their knowledge management? I think um, number one is time, 100%. Time is, it's just not available. You know, founders are probably playing 12 roles, right? They're like doing the thing they're really good at. They're doing the thing they're passionate at. They're doing the sales. They're doing the marketing. They're the spokesperson. And then that kind of becomes the trend for at least the first you batch suppliers, they're they're hired. That means they're not necessarily able to function in both ways, right? They can't train everybody up or like document all their processes while they're trying to do this. So I'm is a big one. Welcome to Making Better, a podcast from Better Everyday Studios, where we dive into the science and art of making individuals, teams, and organizations better. Whether you are a learning leader, an instructional designer, or a trainer, This show will give you practical lessons to drive positive change in others. Let's get started. Okay, Nicole, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here, Matt. Thanks for the invitation. Awesome. I am so uh, grateful to have you here today as well. Um, I actually, I know you were recently on ATD's Accidental Trainer podcast, and it was just such a great discussion. Um, I highly recommend anybody who wants to learn more about you in the business, go check that out because it is super great. Um, but to to kick things off, I'd love for you to give kind of just a, a quick intro of, of yourself to the, to the listeners. Sure. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name's Nicole Papiano-Lugara. Um, I am the founder of Your Instructional Designer, and we're a learning and people development agency focused on serving startups. And we also do that primarily through non-traditional training solutions, um, specifically social learning. So social learning networks, digital cohorts, you know, drip campaigns for learning, that kind of fun stuff. And um, in a prior life, I was a adjunct professor of English. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love all the the various ways that people come into learning, especially corporate learning. Um, but you know, like I said, that that discussion on the Accidental Trainer podcast, you really went in depth on a lot of the non traditional ways that you think about serving serving people. Um, you know, I think we both have a love for trying to make less courses and find other ways to get people uh, get people to learn. Yeah. In that episode, there was uh, one thing you mentioned um, about knowledge management. You kind of said how knowledge management was a really important thing. Um, and so what I was hoping to do today, because I, th- I think this is, you know, we've chatted before about how this is kind of uh, under-discussed topic in, in the learning world. Um, but rather than me trying to describe it, you know, you were the one that kind of that kind of mentioned it. So I'd love to hear from your perspective when you're thinking about learning solutions, what do you mean by knowledge management and kind of why it's important? Sure. So I'll start by saying, I think of it as sort of this way, right? When, when you have a company, in order for that company to thrive, there needs to be sort of this collective brain. And in order to use that collective brain, you have to be able to retrieve the information when you need it and want it. And so for many organizations, especially my friends in startups, um, that organization doesn't live in the collective brain. (laughs) It lives in files that get lost or people's heads, and it never kind of makes it to a space where everyone can access it. So in the simplest terms, it really is, you know, like the library of your business and ways to make sure that library is like search friendly. I love that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's such a great way to think about it, you know, having that that shared brain. Um, 
random question. So, you know, because I think especially, you know, we've both worked with a lot of startups. A lot of startups are in are in G Suite or, or whatever it's called now. And, you know, it's all in Google Docs. Um, does that help or, or hinder folks? Is that is that making knowledge management harder or easier, you think? It can be either. I, know, I hate, okay. I feel like yeah. that it depends. It's just like the universal answer to everything we yes. do in learning and development. Yes. It can be wonderful if you have a great file structure and something where you're like labeling things appropriately and putting them in the right place and everyone can find it quickly because that's a cheap and easy way just to get running, right? If you have all your standard operating procedures documented, if you have all of your uh, training that you've had previously, you know, maybe just lunch and learns or like notes from shadowing in a place where people can find them. That's great. But if everything is just like untitled document, copy of copy, and then never gets renamed or put where it's supposed to go, then again, it becomes useless and just adds to the kind of chaos. Um, yeah, but, you I would... know, it's a good starting place if you got nothing. Yeah. If you got nothing, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think the most common, uh, one of the more common results that I see from this is when people just have like 800 tabs open in their browser because they know <laughs> they will never be able to find the document again if they close it. Yeah, you definitely don't want that to be the story of your knowledge management. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so then, but I think it is, you know, it is at a lot of for a lot of individuals and a lot of organizations, you know, when you see it, especially in the startup world, since it goes wrong so often, um, how how does that happen? Like, what do, what do you see are the most common problems when you go into an organization um, with with their knowledge management? Yeah, I think um, number one is time, one hundred percent. Time is it's just not available. You know, founders are probably playing twelve roles, right? They're like doing the thing they're really good at. They're doing the thing they're passionate at. They're doing the sales. They're doing the marketing. Like they're the spokesperson, and then that kind of becomes the trend for at least the first few batches of hires, they're, they're hired because they're really great individual contributors. And um, that means they're not necessarily able to function in both ways, right? They can't train everybody up or like document all their processes while they're trying to do this and then extra. So time is a big one. Um, I think just not having controls in place or like having given any thought to the strategy and structure for how you want to manage the knowledge that you are sharing amongst each other is, is a kind of a failure. Um, and then just not taking advantage of like simple ways of organizing. So, you know, we talked about, well, do you have a file name structure or just a yeah. file structure, shared drives, whatever, like a, a methodology for how things are stored and saved? Um, do you have people who don't know how to really use a search function? I mean, honestly, that that can be a problem. I think, um, you know, and maybe you have just outgrown that kind of solution. That's another thing, right? When you start to get to that cost of maybe you need more intentional, like data asset management or knowledge management, um, maybe you need better tools. Yeah, I think the the shared structure, uh, shared folders that you mentioned is one of the big things, especially in like Google and G Suite that since I use that, I'm always surprised at how rarely shared drives are used and everyone just has everything on their individual drive. That's always kind of a surprising thing to me. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of that comes from leadership. (laughs) I feel like I kick it to them all the time, but you know, if, if your manager is always doing it and like you can't find the things you need from them, you're going to do the same thing because there's, yeah, there's totally. no one modeling that for you. 
Well, and I think it's also like you mentioned, you know, the founder and that first batch of hires, almost by definition, those people are hired because they're good at figuring things out. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of stuff, this kind of foundation almost isn't necessary for them, or at least at their stage in their career, it's not necessary for them. And they forgot that they needed it early on. And, um, so to me, that seems like one of the big reasons why it just gets skipped over because the the people that you hire early on, almost by definition, don't need these tools. But it's like, what's the second generation of hires going to need so that you can really scale and be successful, I feel like. Absolutely. And I know, you know, part of that too is, so those first people, they are, they're experts, right? That's why they're hired and brought on because they can do the job with no training. And then later, when you get to these surges of growth and scalability is when you start to realize, oh, crap, we have nothing to give the new person. And you start to make quick yeah. documents and put things together. So, you know, that that's kind of a challenge, too. Um, and I totally lost my train of thought because it was totally unrelated to that. But I think that's probably an important takeaway for founders to consider. You know, just know that these four people you have right now are these six people at your table who will hopefully not be your last six. And so you, you start planning early. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so, I know what it was. I'm oh, sorry. You go first. Oh, absolutely. No, no, you go. I don't want to lose your train of thought. <laughs> I was just going to say the other piece is just that um, startups are rapidly evolving, right? So yeah. in the corporate world, you want to design all these beautiful trainings for this new product that's going to launch or have five years of integration before you get this new uh, software. In startup, it's like, oh, we decided this didn't work last week, so we're changing to this project management tool now and everyone needs to learn it. Um, and so a lot of times it gets left behind just because they're worried about spending too much time on something that might change. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's totally right. And, and I think, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I feel like there's also kind of like, there can be an art to instructional design and knowledge management of doing it in a way that's not super time intensive and is easy to change. Um, that can be a big part of this too. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And also just not, not collecting things is the other thing, right? You don't want to have like five, we do this with client products all the time, like final, 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 oh, final, gosh. final, final. Yeah, like you don't want to have 22 versions of the same draft and then no one can figure out which yeah. one's the most recent either. So um, I think you're going to have to at some point dedicate some time or some energy to yeah. managing your knowledge, right? To um, going in and making sure it's it's curated and up to date and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go into companies to try to deliver a learning solution and do the stuff that you do, um, how common is it that you run into these problems? And like, what, what does it mean for you to, to does what impact does it have? Does poor knowledge management have on what you're trying to, to bring to them? Um, well, it ends up being costly for them, right? So for us, it's a challenge because we're trying to get the right information to make a product based on the most up-to-date information if it's training right if training is the solution and so instead of just being able to turn over some documentation and have someone run through the highlights with us in an hour or two what ends up happening is the sme is then going and looking for information for hours taking time away subject matter expert if you're not a learning person taking time away from their work um and then it becomes like a decision tree right i have to go to this person to make sure this is actually accurate and this person and who, who do i go to now um and so that's costly not just because they don't have the tools they need, but because they're now spending more money to create the tools they need. So there is that. What other challenges do I find? Um, sometimes, 
Sometimes it actually is cost saving in that we find out they don't need any training and they really just need a place where they can ah. like, organize their thoughts or it becomes, you know, a collection of job aids. We're simplifying yeah. things. We're putting less. Um, maybe the master document lives somewhere else. And this training is just like one piece of that whole big master yeah. plan. So, yeah, I mean, it, it can it can uh, definitely throw you for a loop and it, it might just be the low-hanging fruit you need to check off your list before you think about other things. Yeah, I definitely think that's a that's a huge thing. Is that um, it's so everybody thinks training is is the solution. <laughs> they just think, oh, there's there's a performance problem. We need training. Um, and to me, most the the most common re thing that's actually causing the problem is just a lack of documentation. Is that there there is no nobody's written down the right way to do it, and that's why nobody's doing it the right way. Yes. And I, I'm just going to be very honest in saying, like, I am guilty of this in my own organization, you know, like. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I have um, our project manager now, we are now being very conscious about. So we'll take half hour and she interviews me to figure out how I do things because it's all been trapped in my head forever. And then she's going and making the standard operating procedures and signing off on them. And then we're putting them in our workplace, you know, literally workplace by Meta, like our, our collaboration yep. tool. Um, and we've curated like a pathway now for our intern for onboarding. So I didn't do that stuff, even though I had, you know, eight, 10 freelancers. I didn't do that until I had like now essentially 20 freelancers and like, you know, three staff members and hopefully hiring another one. So, um, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, but it does need to be done and you will see the dividends. Like I, I can speak to it from a professional, but also from a, you know, like, having experienced it and seeing the difference in my own business. Yeah, I think that's definitely a takeaway that nobody should feel bad about being bad at this because everybody's bad at this. <laughs> it's something that we can all improve upon. Um, and it's just a matter of when you make that decision, I feel like, of when you make that commitment. And then even once yeah. you make it, you can still do better. There's always more you can do probably. Definitely. I mean, it's one of the reasons we did pick Workplace by Meta. There's a lot of reasons, but you know, because we were using Slack originally and it's cool too, but I liked that they have this really simple knowledge library and it's very search friendly. And to me, like that's, that's a big one. And I just saw, and so I have no experience with it, but you know, I just saw that, um, Microsoft is latching on to AI to hopefully produce a tool that will make all of your internal documents yeah. and knowledge way yeah. more accessible and easy to search. So I think those are big wins that will hopefully help even the small businesses. Yeah, it should hopefully. I think a lot of this stuff will be able to get a lot better. Um, but yeah, when it comes to those tools, like that was one of, I've only used Teams a little bit, but one of the things that I really struggled with in Teams is it seems like all the files are inside of the team, like the individual like channel that you make. Yeah. And so if you're not in that channel, you can't search into it, um, which just makes it super difficult because it's like you have, you have to know where you need to be before you have any idea of like what you're even doing. I know. And I feel bad because I have steered people away from teams into other tools. Um, and I just know that it is Microsoft is super powerful, but for the average yeah. small business, they usually just don't have like that extra IT support or that extra person who's going to think and do all that strategy yeah. and constantly manage it. Whereas I believe there's other tools right now, at least that um, for the team that doesn't have the spare L and D person or the team that like outsources their L and D you know, they can manage at least on their own in the interim. Yeah, there's definitely with all these kinds of things, whether it's learning, um, knowledge management, there's like 
what the right answer is, is going to depend a lot on your organization and like the maturity of the organization. You know, mm -hmm. I, I always use the example of like the HR system, uh, workday and that like if you're gonna get workday you need to have like a team to manage workday <laughs> yeah which is great if you're ten thousand people but if you're 10 you can't have a team managing your hris um even if it you doesn't mean spend it's a bad several tens of thousands it costs every year <laughs> yeah totally that's like but but you know it's like different so di different solutions are right for different stages for sure mm -hmm. Um, so in those early stages, you just mentioned that you're kind of going through this yourself. What would you, what are some early steps? Let, let me, let me think about this. Like, when do you think a company needs to start seriously thinking about knowledge management and what are the first things they should be doing? Honestly, day one, I wish I did. <laughs> I know you won't, but I would say simple things, low hanging fruit are like, what are your departments? Right. So just just start mm. there, create a folder for each department and like, what do they do? What are the job descriptions? Um, what are the standard operating procedures? I also like to tell everyone to make an org chart, but not just an org chart where it's like Susan works under Bob in accounting, but more like um, this is why you would go to Susan or this is why you go to Bob or this is why you would go to Anjali. Right. Like. These are the questions that they can answer for you. And that's that's an easy win, um, but so many people don't ever do it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, for anybody listening, I just had to turn to my, my bookshelf to pick up the book Traction because they, they talk about this exact thing where instead of um, – Instead of calling it an org chart, they call it a responsibility chart. I love that. I've never right? heard so that. It's, I'm going to read it now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great book. I highly recommend because – and it's almost like – because I think what happens a lot of times, this is off topic, but what happens a lot of times is organizations, you think through the people that are in your organization mm -hmm. and you manage everything from there. Whereas what this kind of encourages you to do is step back from your business and pretend it has no people and just envision what are the major responsibilities and what's the hierarchy of those responsibilities within the organization. And then once you have that mapped, then you map people to those responsibilities. Um so anyway, I think I as like you were that. saying, you know, when you're trying to put do the job descriptions of, of who who to contact and stuff like that, it's a good it's a good place to start. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. It sounds very much in line with, uh, you know, kind of our philosophy. One of the other things we do, I feel like I've talked about it a lot this week, so I don't want to like it. And it's not my idea. I just have no idea where it came from. Like I've been doing this for years okay. now. Um, I'll be the first to say I have no idea where this idea came from. I just know it wasn't mine. Uh, we do skills inventory. So I'll literally sit with my team. And we go and we put on a Miro board and it just says, you know, skills I have and I use, skills I have but don't use, skills I want to have and don't have, like things I would like to do, and then skills I either have or don't have. But please don't ask me to do these things, essentially. Yeah. And so yeah. for us, that's another good um, like documentation exercise because it's really easy to yeah. see the layers of like, okay, this is the capabilities we already have. These are the spaces we want people to grow into. These are the gaps we have for hiring. Um, and I know if I give this person this task over and over again, they're going to leave my company. <laughs> right? So um, that's a, another good like, you know, it's it's kind of knowledge management, right? It's pulling out the capabilities yeah. of your team. Yeah. So I think that's a good one to do. And then the last I one I would probably say is your vision, mission, purpose, goals, values. You know, like having that brand voice and that core purpose of your organization documented somewhere where everybody can find it. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then it feels like too, for all of these things, it's like, what's your process for getting them? You know, like you said, you, you have, you know, like kind of the, uh, you do a skills survey and that kind of stuff. What's the process for it? And how often are you going to do that process so that you can make sure you're, you're updating stuff? I feel like that's one of the things that most often gets lost in knowledge management is having a systematic process for going and reviewing things and seeing if it still matters and not just letting everything pile up. Yeah. We are the process right now for a lot of our clients, yeah. honestly, right? Like it's like, okay, well, mm. can we update things quarterly or um, when it happens, this, can we come back to you? Yeah, sure. Like that's great. Um, but I also want to get, you know, and I'm feel, sure you feel the same way. I want to give people the tools to do what they need to do in the day to day on their own and we'll handle the heavy yep. lift, you know, the stuff we know you, you just don't have the capacity to handle. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in a previous discussion, you mentioned that, because I think you're kind of, for a lot of your clients, you're doing this for them, like you just kind of said, like you're getting them set up in, in workplace, you're doing a lot of the documentation for that. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about when to start, I guess, if a company has been established, they've got a lot of going on. Um, how are you getting started with those kind of established companies to pull them out of, of that problematic state they find themselves in? Yeah, a lot of it's just, you know, regular old needs analysis, just like you would do if yeah. you were, maybe not like you would, most people do, but like you would do for any training initiative. Um, I always treat it as a root cause analysis, not a training needs analysis. Mm. So like, I'm not looking for Ooh. what training you need. I'm looking for like what's yes. causing the problem at your organization. And then yes. I will fill the needs that we can fill in the rest. I'll just make recommendations and say, you need to find consultants who do this stuff. Um so, you know, we have those kickoff meetings, all, all the discovery stuff. Yeah. I, I just got to say, you know, especially from a learning and uh, instructional design, learning industry perspective, the way you just like simply said that of we just do a root cause analysis and we come <laughs> up with all the root causes of the problem. And then if we can if we can solve that problem, then we, we solve it for them. And if we can't, we, we tell them, hey, go find somebody that can. That is like... A pretty rare thing, I feel like, in in the learning industry, of we feel like we want to be able to solve all the problems, and being able to clearly say like we can do these things, we're not going to do these things. Um, it's a really it's a really important thing to be. I'm sure it gets you a lot of credibility with your clients. Honestly, I, I hope so. <laughs> it's just you know, <laughs> it is what you said. It's um, we can't serve all needs training is not the solution for everything and as nice as it would be to make your your money like i don't want money for things that are gonna fail like make learning that matters yeah. is literally our our slogan or our tagline right so it, it. it's important to us um but the other thing you can do so i'm privileged right because i'm on the outside we're an outsourced vendor i can tell you that you need these things and you think it's yeah. great sometimes it's a little harder when you have internal politics but like i've formed connections with other people and who are good at other things or other industries and so i can also give that recommendation as a professional that's that also you know helps to build our brand but then helps another person to make business which i i think is great yeah yeah absolutely um well, awesome. So any, anything we haven't covered about knowledge management that you think is, is really important? I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Yes. I don't know. I feel like if we not, got the big okay. stuff, right? Like what it is, yeah. that you should be yeah. doing it, use your files if you yeah. got nothing else, find good collaboration yeah. tools and search friendly tools. Uh, if you can leverage AI to help, <laughs> never hurts. Mm. 
uh, or automation tools, you know, that, that's how have you seen what, what are some good tools on that front? Since AI is so big right now, have you, have you seen any good ones that can help with, with this kind of knowledge management problem? Yes. Um, so not so, so much in the way we're thinking about it, you know, like I said, uh, Microsoft's going to come out with this cool tool and all that. So yeah. there is that kind of stuff, but I think in the simplest terms, like I love loom. And the AI that they use yes. is really just AI that takes your video and works out the transcript. And there's lots of tools that do that. But I just like that, you know, I record it for my team member. They have the transcript. I send them the link. I can tag it in my system. So it's also very searchable yep. and loom. Um, yep. That I love. I think startups, that's like such a great tool and can tackle a lot of your training problems. And then, you know, yeah. you've got, again, knowledge management because it's this built-in library of resources that are hopefully being labeled and tagged appropriately. Yeah. Then, yeah. I feel like, and that kind of almost starts to bring up almost like a hierarchy, like we said before of like the right tool for the right stage mm -hmm. of like at the beginning, just start recording yourself, just sit down and like, this is how we do company emails, or this is how we do X, Y, and Z process. And you get the video, you get the description and then a six months, a year, two years down the road, maybe it's appropriate to like go through all that and formalize it into like, this is our standard process doc yes. that has like notes, warnings, and cautions. And like, that's then the next stage, but don't wait for that stage. You know, just start recording yourself. Yeah. I think, I think that's great advice. Um, I mean, I think Miro is a really good tool too, you know, for some of the more complex, mm. I know that's not AI, but you know, for some of the more complex things, I like to map them out. Um, I've played with, but like have not implemented with clients. So I'm just going to preface it by saying that tools like Searchy, you know, that just make video mm. itself very searchable. I like the idea of it. I think it's very relevant. Um, and it does something similar to Loom where it's like, you know, transcribing it so that they can then search through the videos for the things you yeah. want to find. Online course content creators, whatever we're calling them today. A lot of them um, use that kind of tool. And uh, other AI that helps. I feel I feel like those are the good like low hanging fruit for for the small business, big business. They've got their own. I'm not even Who knows? going there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, if people want to hear more about you, um, where can they where can they find you? Where should where should people go? Uh, well, yourinstructionaldesigner.com is probably the easiest. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Nicole Papiano, PhD is the end handle. So. Maybe just look for Matt and find me and his connections because yeah. you might not be able to spell yeah. my last name. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anything your instructional designer is is us. And then we're on TikTok, but I don't, I would say not actively. So it's your idea on TikTok ah. if you're curious. <laughs> if that's your jam, then cool. <laughs> it's, it's not. I, yeah, our, I, I love, yeah. I love uh, personally Instagram. I'm, I'm very active on that. And LinkedIn is, okay. is like the places if Perfect. you want to connect with me as a human that you will find me. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nicole. Uh, it was it was a really great discussion. Thanks for being on. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Matt. My, thank you.